Um, we are in a series called Distracted, and what we've been talking about is that if we're not careful, we can get our eyes focused on other things, these distractions, that will keep our eyes off of God. And that oftentimes, matter of fact, as we get through the series, all the time, those very distractions are the things that keep us from achieving the actual thing we want in the first place, a relationship with God. And so the first week, it was Easter week, and what we talked about was um, these two guys, after Jesus had died and rose again, their expectations weren't met, and so they're walking on a road talking about how disappointed they are that Jesus didn't perform the way they had expected him to perform. And the whole while, they're having a conversation with Jesus. He's right, he's right there. And they're like, man, we had these expectations. And what we talked about is the idea with, that it's the same with all of these distractions. We get so wrapped up in the distraction, and we want that distraction to, to minister to us in the same way Jesus would. And all the while, Jesus is standing right next to us. So the second week, we talked about regret and how regrets can hold us back, and that we get so focused on the regret, and so focused on our past, and so focused on our shame, that we miss the person who can fix it all to begin with. And so we had paper shredders up here, and we wrote down our regrets, and we shredded them all on stage. And then in the office, we put them all back together again, we're looking at them. No. Uh, so they, uh, so we, we did that. And then last week, we talked about the comparison trap and how we can get so focused and so distracted on other people's lives and what they're doing and how much money they make and where they go on vacation and how smart their kids are and all this kind of stuff that we miss Jesus in our home who's there the whole time. This morning, we are going to talk about a fun one. We are going to talk about the distraction of outrage. The distraction of outrage. No other time I can remember in the history of the world have we ever been so outraged about everything. It's just you can go online and find something to be outraged. Like it's our new moral code. If you are outraged, it's, it's, then, then you are holy. Holy people are outraged people. And, and it doesn't matter who you are, whether you believe in God or not, and you can just go into this whole election. And I promise you, by the time it's over this morning, I will have offended everybody. Okay? So, uh, and so that's, that's what happens. So I'm gonna, I want to jump right off with the point that I want to make this morning so we begin to get it right in our heads. And this is what it is. Our lenses of outrage can distort the beauty God has for us every day. The lenses of our outrage, when we, when we see a certain person as a liberal, as a Republican, as a this, as a this, as a that, we miss, we miss out on Jesus the whole time going, you don't even understand how beautiful they are, how, how awesome you have it, or whatever. I'll give you a little example of, of an idea of outrage, and I'll have many of them this morning that will annoy you, and, uh, but... Uh, do you guys remember this picture? That's Michael Jackson, and he's holding his baby over a balcony, okay? And all his fans are down there. This was, I forget when it was. I think it was about 13 years ago or something. Um, but we were outraged. We were outraged by this because how could a, a, a father hold their baby over a balcony? Um, well, let me tell you what you do. No, um, no. Like, and, and, and here's the thing. Or one of the things. We don't know Michael Jackson. 
I mean, you might, okay, but I, I don't. I'll never see that baby. I don't have any influence on Michael Jackson's life. Michael Jackson doesn't te- text me, and well, not now he doesn't, but um, <laughs> he didn't used to either. Text me and ask me for parenting advice and all this kind of stuff. I, I will never have, I never will meet Michael Jackson, but I had very strong opinions about him holding that baby over that, over, over that balcony. Why? Why is that? Why, why, why do we care about so many things that we have absolutely no influence on? Right now, this morning, you might be very angry with ISIS. And you might wake up in the morning and turn on the television and you might be scared and you might be fired up and you're wondering why he doesn't do that and she doesn't do that and we got to get the right that in there. If we don't, then we're not going to have that. And so you're getting yourself all worked up. And uh, statistically, you'll probably never, ever, ever, ever be affected by ISIS. But we like being outraged. Well, what I wanted to do is talk a little bit about why that is first, why we get outraged um, because the, it's not going away. And it used to be 200 years ago, there was less stuff to be outraged about because you didn't even know about the stuff that was going on in the world. You knew what was going on in your town, and maybe you didn't like the mayor, or maybe you didn't like this year's crops, or you thought that we were, you know, the kids who were throwing trash in the trash basket. The, 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 it was the the youth were going crazy and you, at that time, whatever. Well, you just had a very small thing. Now, you can find something to be outraged about in two seconds. Someone sends you an email. You go on Facebook. You go on the internet. You turn on the TV. We're getting outraged now about stuff like in Idaho, okay, which isn't us, right? I mean, we're getting upset about stuff that has no bearing on our lives, we absolutely have no power and no control. Let me tell you something. Right now, Hillary Clinton, brought, uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, Bernie Sanders, Donald Trump, and Ted Cruz. One of them is going to be our president. Okay? Right. Right. And it's a collective, ugh, right? Because, because we're all on different sides and have different perspectives and all this kind of thing. And, and we get to vote. And, and guess What? Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, Bernie Sanders, or Ted Cruz is going to be our president. There's nothing we can really do about that. So now that I've got you all excited uh, and probably outraged, which was one of my little goals, I want to talk to you about uh, why that happens, why we do that, why we kind of, in a sick way, like it. We like to be outraged, um, and, 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 we'll, and then we'll hit a book of the Bible, James, and talk about what, Jesus, what James has to say about it. But uh, I read a book a few years ago called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, okay? And I don't know if you've read the book. It's Stephen Covey. And there are seven habits. Start with the end in mind. Be proactive. Everything you'd want to know to be productive or efficient or, or whatever. And, and I liked the book. But there was one page in that book that changed my life. And it, was, and it wasn't even like a main habit. It was just an idea. And, and I've watched my own life through the lens of this idea. And I've watched Scripture through the lens of this idea. And Scripture talks a lot about what I'm going to show you. The first one is this. Your circle of concern. These are things you're just concerned about. Um, climate change or whatever. I put, I put a bunch 
up there um, that they have. So religion, income inequality maybe, and depending on which side of the fence you're on, Republican or Democrat, race relations, all that kind of stuff. You're, you're concerned about these things. And oftentimes what happens when we get outraged is it's in one of these categories because it's something we're concerned about but have no power. I mean, you know, you might, like I, I mentioned ISIS or politics or all these different issues. They might bother you depending on where you're at. And if I, if I said immigration, there would be some people who are like, yeah, we need to build a wall. And there will be other people going, well, why are we breaking up families? And, and there's just all this angst. But in reality, there's really nothing we can do about that. And so we send out emails and we send out memes and we go on and we call our friends and we get this community of outrage together. And it it feels kind of good. And so uh, that's your circle of concern. Things you're concerned about but can't do, do anything about. The next one is your circle of influence. This is the area of your life that you can actually change that you can actually affect, okay? And we're going to get to the Bible in a second, okay? Trust me. Uh, so you've got your co-workers, your ministry, your neighbors, your friends, finances, family. But most important, your circle of influence, the greatest person you can affect in your circle of influence is who? You. It's you, okay? Now, what happens... When we, get, when we start focusing on outrage, when we start focusing on the things we can't control, it starts whipping us up. And I was doing some research on outrage, and it's really fascinating what happens in your brain. First, there is an initial negative feeling. Uh, 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 and and that would be, that, your, your brain would, would give that kind of a pain uh, sensor. Followed by very high arousal. Very high uh, endorphin, like there's just this rush that, that outrage actually feels good to us. It feels important. It feels good to be outraged. There's a bunch of reasons why. One of the things is it, it gets you into a community. You can now talk with people on that issue and you can all be outraged together. <laughs> so you get a sense of, of, of community. The other thing it does is it allows you to advertise your morals. So if I go on Facebook and I talk about how outraged I am, I'm declaring that I'm not that guy or I'm not that girl or I'm not one of those. And so there's something that is rewarding about that. I get to show who I'm not, okay? The other thing that happens in the brain and in society is that you reward others based on how they are outraged. And so there's something you get out of it. One of the problems, though is that God doesn't want us to be outraged. Here's what happens. When our circle of influence shrinks, okay, like that that little circle of influence, we begin to not be able to make any change. You've probably met this person, and they're probably in your family. But um, you'll go to a family get-together or whatever, and there's that one person, and you know that one topic. You're just like, don't, t- don't talk about. You're telling the kids in the back seat, do not bring up Barack Obama, okay? 
Just don't do it. Why, Daddy? Just don't. Whatever you do, do not bring up Bill Clinton. He's going to go great. You know? And so you're skirting and dancing and all around. And, and, so, and, you're, and if you don't think you're that person, you probably are. Um, uh, if you don't have one in your family, you're probably it. Um, but, but, but what begins to happen to that person is they begin to lose influence because they're so outraged about all these different things that people just don't want to talk to them. People go, there's nothing we can do about it. And your, your circle of influence begins to shrink. On the other hand, those people who are actually influencing those in the places that they can influence, namely themselves, their family, their work, or whatever, their influence grows. And what ends up happening is your circle of influence masks or shadows your circle of concern. You're just too busy influencing to be outraged about anything else. Does that make sense? Our lenses of outrage can distort the beauty that God has for us every day. So let's look at what the scriptures have to say about this. One, one last thing about uh, this study they were doing on outrage um, that the New York University did. Um, and this is why God's also opposed to it. They took a $10, and it was a game. And uh, they gave it to one person, and they had a choice to either share it with the person next to them or keep it, okay? So they could share. And there was a third party, a third party that would watch, okay, and judge what they thought about. Now, again, the rules of the game are I can keep it or I can share it. If I don't share it, I didn't break any rules. I didn't do anything. I just, I can share it. All right, so I'm, my lovely assistant Lisa's right here. Um, she's my wife, so don't freak out. Um, and so I can, I can either share it with her or, or I, can, I can keep it. And then someone's watching, well, how much does he share? So I can share and I go, I'll give her two bucks and I'll, I'll keep eight. The third party then punishes me or rewards me based on what, what, what I did. Almost always, the third-party punisher punishes me harsher than the actual victim. So if I, if I withhold the money, the, um, and, and so now the victim says, okay, to make it right, give me two bucks or give me five bucks, it doesn't matter. The third-party punisher says, give it all to her. You're a bad person. You kept it all. So now you're going you're gonna to punish when, there, and this is a long-winded way to get to where I'm going, when we have outrage, we are typically punishing the people more than we need to punish them. We, you'll see this in group shaming. Um, and so there'll be somebody who tweets something, and then 10,000 people just go off on the person because they made a mistake. Or you see someone who's being interviewed and they say something wrong. Or they have a a moment where there's too much emotion and then everybody piles on. It's called third-party punishment and that's what outrage is all about. So how do we get past it? Well, James happens to give us a lot of really good advice and a lot of things that we're going to be able to take home this week and and put into practice right away. He says this, James chapter 1, verse 19, and it was just a little bit over a year ago that we were actually in this section of Scripture talking about a different, a different topic than this. So you'll recognize some of the verses, and then we'll move, move on to some others. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. In other words, write it down. Make sure you remember it. Put it on a little refrigerator magnet or on the dashboard of your car. What I'm about to say is really important, is what James is saying. Everyone should be quick to listen 
Everyone should be quick to listen. Now, if we just stopped there, could you imagine what our society would look like? What your email inbox would look like? If the very first thing we decided to do, instead of judging what someone thinks or where they are on a certain topic or where the nation's going or all that, if we just got into the habit of listening, that I'm going to remove the label I'd normally give you, uh, right-wing person. Uh, I'm going to remove that, and I'm going to talk to just Chuck <laughs> and just want to know, what do you believe? I'm going to remove the label uh, liberal or uh, you know, wacko or whatever it is, and, 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 and I'm going to remove that label, and I'm going to listen to why do you believe what you believe? Really listen. And, and maybe I'll find that, you know, you're not that evil of a person, that you just, you're scared and you think this person is going to take care of it or whatever. But quick, be quick to listen. And then you probably are familiar with this verse. Uh, this is the hard part, slow to speak. And that also means, just so you know, the Greek, it means slow to text, slow to post, <laughs> slow to reply, okay? Slow to retweet. Okay, slow to re-retweet, okay? Slow, slow, quick to listen, slow to respond. Slow to give advice, slow to give statistics, slow to give your opinion, slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to speak. Okay, and then this one. And slow to become outraged. Slow to become angry. To be able to have a circle of influence or a relationship with God that's so comfortable that you don't need to worry about so-and-so in the White House or this going through or this not going through. Now, what am I saying? I'm saying, John, are you saying I shouldn't be informed? If information is going to outrage you, then yes, I'm saying don't be informed. Hide it. Get away from it. Do whatever. If you can handle it and you, and you like, this is what you like and all this kind of stuff, then be, be informed as you want. But just know this. You don't really have that much influence in that thing. And even if you send an email to 50 of your friends, 50 times zero, zero. <laughs> it doesn't mean collectively there's more influence. And so it's, it's and slow to become angry. So that might mean some life change for you. If you can't watch a certain program on, on TV without getting outraged, you might need to get rid of that program. Especially if you're in a mixed household where you've got a Democrat and a Republican. You guys are probably, I don't know how you made it. Uh, and so to become angry. Now watch, watch why. Why, why, is, why does God say this? And this is the, the, the kicker for why we're talking about this. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Isn't that incredible? Like, no matter how worked up we get, and some of the topics are really important. I, I get that. And they have to do with people's rights, and they have to do with sweeping changes in, in, in the country we live in or what have you. They are really important. But no matter how angry I get, and it's probably upside down, probably the more angry I get, the less opportunity I have to display the righteousness of God in my life. 
The anger, the human anger does not produce anything godly. It just produces anger. And the lenses of our outrage can distort the beauty that God has for us every day. Sometimes we get so outraged about something, we miss out on a relationship that God has right there in front of us. You might be working with somebody who you disagree with on a whole bunch of different topics. And your outrage blinds you from being able to love that person. You might have something going on in your neighborhood, and a neighbor is acting all weird and all this kind of stuff, and, and the outrage that you sense because you feel out of control and you feel like you, there's nothing you can do, that outrage is going to stop you from being able to love that neighbor as Jesus loves that neighbor. They, it distorts the beauty of that, what God has around us every day. So here's, here's what uh, James says. Because he doesn't say, so don't be outraged, okay? He says, everyone, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. Because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Well, how do I stop myself from being angry? Because let me tell you, just full disclosure, I went online this week because I was coming up with examples of memes and stuff that I was going to put up there to get everybody all worked up, and I was ticked by the end of the day. Like, you can really get yourself worked up in a ladder. I found myself clicking links and finding statistics, and I can't believe that. It's not even true. And it's like, dude, you're teaching on anger. Mellow it out. So what do we do? Here's what it says. Therefore, get rid of all Congress and the evil that is no. Get rid of all moral filth. Now, this is for us, not in the world. Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. In other words, take your eyes off the distraction of outrage and put it right smack on the word of God. What does the word of God say? Oh, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He says, you don't have nothing to worry about. The Word of God says that I can have peace which surpasses all comprehension. (laughs) And it will guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. The Word of God says I can love anybody no matter how right or left they are. The Word of God says I don't need to be outraged. My Heavenly Father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The whole earth is His and everything in it. The Word of God says that God is in control. The Word of God says that my value does not depend on who's in the White House or how much income I make or what I'm doing or the color of my skin. My value is found and I'm created in the image of God. And yours is too. Isn't that different? Isn't that a different perspective? You you get rid of all that stuff and you just humbly receive the Word implanted which can save your life. And so... um, and then, and then it, it goes on one more step because just, just humbly accepting it isn't good enough. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. And I don't know if you've ever done that. I've done it a million times where I read the Bible and I'm like, oh, that is so true. Oh, boy, I feel so convicted. That is just, wow, man, the Lord spoke to me. Oh, you know, I just, I just need to get over this guy at work. You know what? I just, I just need to forgive him. Have you forgiven him? No, I'll never forgive him. I just feel bad about not forgiving him, and that's kind of good enough right now. I just, I just, I'm glad I felt bad. That feels holy. <laughs> James says, you just deceived yourself, dude. 
You, you read the word, you saw it, you believed it, you felt really bad about it, but you didn't do anything about it. And so he says, you so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Now, imagine if all of our energy during the day, or when we get home and we flick on whatever news channel that is, what if all of our energy went into actually doing what the Bible says rather than searching for things that would make us outraged. Can you imagine what kind of person you'd be at the end of this year? If you took some of that energy, not all of it, you can, you know, you still listen to, the, you know, get that one blog that gets you all fired up, you know, once a month, that's okay. Uh, imagine we took all that energy and all that thing and writing long emails. If we took all that and we just said, you know what, I- I'm going to apply the word of God as I read it. It would be awesome. That's taking the distraction of outrage and putting it aside and focusing on Jesus. Focusing on what the Word says. It's, it's, it's getting rid of all moral filth and humbly receiving the Word implanted, which is able to save us. So he goes into this example because um, he's trying to really get this point across. Don't just listen to the Word. Do what it says. So don't just look out there and say, oh man, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and you know, we need to do this or that. No, you need, we need to, I need to do something about it in myself. And here's what he says, anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. Um, I did that this morning, it was not very pretty. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now don't miss the context of this. What it's saying is, When you look at the Word of God and then just leave, you forget how it was supposed to affect your life. You immediately forget, no, you know what? That was actually for me. (laughs) That wasn't for them. When I read the Word of God and I leave it and I just kind of run off, I'm tempted to take that Word of God and start applying it to everybody else. And what James is saying, no, 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 you're forgetting what you look like. And so he says... um, uh, he looks at himself and goes away, and immediately he forgets that this was, this was for him. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it. In other words, this is a day-to-day-to-day thing. You know what's interesting about this verse? Um, when you think of the law, the perfect law, you don't really think of freedom, do you? You think of rules and regulations. You think of do's and don'ts, and that doesn't seem very free, right? I mean, uh, what freedom looks like is I get to do whatever I want. And so when you see a verse like this, you think to yourself, or at least I do, the perfect law that brings freedom, it's it's a law. Laws don't, there is no freedom. But upon further inspection, I'll bet the areas of your life that are flourishing the best are when you've applied God's law to your life. You've applied his principles. You've said no to that thing. And now you're seeing this flourishing in your marriage. You said no to this. And now your job's doing better. Why? You, you, you haven't tried to control everything. And so now this other place is... That's the freedom that James is talking about. Whoever looks intently in the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. You see how... James is still talking about slow to be angry because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And you see what he does? He says that that anger thing, we need to put you to work. (laughs) 
You need to begin to work on you. If you're working on you, you don't have time for all these other, all these other things that you have no control over that get you angry. Because anger usually comes from some type of fear. And so he, he goes on, and I, I just wrote this down one last time just so that we get it. Our lenses of outrage can distort the beauty that God has for us every day. If we spend our time being mad at this and mad at them and frightened about all this kind of stuff, we're going to miss out that God wants to do such a deep work in our lives. I, I think to myself about Jesus um, because, you know, Jesus was in a really, really dark time of the world. Like, it wasn't just, you know, he's in a robe and he's on the mounts and he's walking around. I mean, people were being beheaded. Um, John the Baptist was beheaded just because the king, or Herod, decided, hey, uh, this girl's hot. What do you want? And she's like, oh, John the Baptist's head on the platter. Yay, okay. And that, that was it. There was one time Jesus was talking and um, they were bringing up this thing. Pilate had one time mixed human blood in with the sacrifices. It was like that to a Jew, was just outrageous. It was outrageous. And, um, and they said, well, what do we do you know, about those Galileans where, where he mixed their blood in with the sacrifice? And this would be a perfect time, a perfect time for Jesus to go, you know what? I am, here's what we're going to do. And this is what they wanted him to do. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to start a petition to get Pilate out of there. And I'm going to sign it, and you're going to sign it. We're going to get everybody to sign it. There was, he had no authority to do that. He had no, that's how bad it was. At one point, uh, a tower fell on these people, and Jesus is like, do you think that they were worse off? Or He's just calm. They came to Jesus one time and talked about taxes. And he's like, just pay Caesar what's Caesar and pay God what's God's. Just so, so calm. Because he understood the beauty of a relationship with his heavenly father. It didn't depend on circumstances. So it goes on. Verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, now we're back to the speech again, deceive themselves. They deceive themselves. If we can't keep a tight rein on our fingers, on our mouses, on our tongues, on our videos, all that, we are deceiving ourselves. And watch, it goes one step farther, and their religion is worthless. Ay, ay, ay. Really? I really said ay, ay, ay? Yes, you did. Okay, good. Their religion is worthless. Because think about it. Think about the logic of it. It's a very logical statement. If I'm worked up all day long, and I'm, I'm, I'm scared, and I'm sending stuff, and you better believe this. And if these people get this, then I won't get that. And if I, if I spend my whole time there. And then someone says, hey, tell me about God. Oh, he's in control of everything, brother. Wow, it doesn't really sound like he's in control of anything. It sounds like you're, you're really scared. Oh, he's my heavenly father. But you know what? If he, like, you, know, you see what I'm saying? Doesn't it make sense? If, if I'm getting worked up, and I can't control my tongue, and I have to, I have to get all this information out, what does it say about my heavenly father and how he's taking care of me? So he goes in. Here's the religion that God the Father accepts as pure and faultless. So if you want to know what your religion is supposed to look like, if you want to look at your circle of influence and try to figure out which, which parts of this are from God, 
Or I want a larger circle of influence so I'm not even concerned about these other things that I can't control and are completely out of my uh, realm of influence. I want to just focus on my circle of influence. Well, we've already saw one thing that James had us do. Get in the Word and apply it to your life as best you can. Okay? And here's the other one. This is pure and faultless religion. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep one from self from being polluted by the world. In other words, serve with your hands and feet, like actually minister to people, actually serve somewhere for somebody, and watch yourself. Kind of stay in your own lane. If, you, if you're working on those two things, as a matter of fact, if we as a church just bought this hook, line, and sinker and said, I'm going into the Word, I'm going to apply it to my life, and I'm going to serve somewhere. There just is no, those three things, and I'm going to keep myself from being polluted by the world, those three, three things will keep you busy all day long. You will not have time to be outraged. And so as the worship band comes up, here's, here's what I'd like to, this is my challenge for you today. Um, we typically take a, a time of quiet, and uh, Audra will come up and, and read her poem, and then um, she'll begin a, a song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, is the, is the song she'll be singing. And so here's what I'd like you to do during this time. We, we do a couple things. We fill out our connection cards. And so if you have a prayer request, we'd love to have you um, write that on the front. And, um, and if you uh, haven't filled one of those cards out, we'd love to have you do it. And we take all those cards and we put them in the box in the back. The other thing we do is some of us um, uh, who consider Living Spring their home, uh, we, we'll, we'll tithe and give offerings online, but others will do it here with checks and cash and all that, and this is the time you do that. But here's the challenge I have for you. To look into your life for this next week, what a typical week would look like, and pick one area where you find yourself getting outraged. Like you know what it is. You, it's your, maybe it's your commute, and it's that number on the dial, Okay. Uh, maybe it's the newspaper. You just know when you pick up the newspaper, you're, you're going to get it and you're just going to be outraged. And so and what I'd ask you to do is just tell the Lord, hey, I'm giving that thing up for a while. You can tell him how long, you know, rest of the year, this week, you know, until you get home. I mean, I, you know, whatever you want to do, it's between you and the Lord. But just, that, just one thing, try to remove outrage of, of just one area in your life. The other thing I'd ask you to do is look at, one area in your life, in place of that, where you could focus in on what the Word of God is telling you to do. And so maybe, maybe you read the Word of God and it t- tells you to pray. And so it would look like this. You know you love Fox News or you love MSNBC, you know, whichever one you love. And you love it and you watch it a half hour a day, whatever. You decide, you know what? Instead of doing that, I'm going to pray for my president. I'm going to pray for the election. I'm going to pray for my country. I- I'm going to put it back in the hands of the God who's in control. And so instead of that thing, I'm going to go, Lord, I pray for all the candidates. I pray for their marriages. I pray that um, what areas in their life where they're falling short of your glory and where they're falling short of you and places of their insecurities, I pray you would come in and minister to them. I pray that they would make wise decisions. I pray for this country that we would be a country that looks after the poor, 
and also being physically responsible, whatever your prayer is going to be. You see, what, you see what I'm saying? You're just re- replacing. And our prayers will look different because we come from different perspectives. Let me pray for us, and then we can, uh, we can get to work. Lord God, um, there's so much to be outraged about. Every, I, any place. We could go any place. Uh, we could just read a story about how somebody treated somebody else, and we'll get so upset, and that person's in Michigan. Uh, and so, Lord, we just pray for wisdom right now as we listen to your voice. Show us an area in our life that we can remove that would limit our outrage. And then, Lord, show us a substitute for that that comes from your word that we can do so that we would begin to just broaden our circle of influence just a little bit. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.